I can teach you the principles of faith. I can give you the ABCs of faith. But I really have a strong sense in my spirit tonight to encourage your faith. That is to instill confidence, to stir up your faith, to fire it up. I believe, and I strongly believe, and I've come across many believers in the body of Christ who have some trust issues when it comes to the Word of God. And for some reason, they've come to a place in their lives where they've been disappointed, they become discouraged, and they begin to wonder why they're in the same situation that they're in. They've asked God to help them, they've asked God to deliver them, they've asked God for provision, and they seem to be waiting and wondering, Lord, what's going on? And so because of that, they become discouraged and disappointed in God. And because of that, many have slowly are losing their faith. I believe, and I venture to say that there are many believers in the body of Christ who have already lost their faith. Some of them are still coming to the church, but simply just going through the motions. And there are others who just completely left uh, the church, left God, stopped praying, and stopped reading the Bible because, as far as they were concerned, this doesn't work. We all have faith. We're just at different levels of faith. And regardless of what level of faith you are in right now, I believe you still need to be encouraged. Amen? I know that I need my faith encouraged. Because there is a devil out there that's going to try to rob our faith. Who's, kind of, who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He is committed to doing that. And sometimes he's doing a very good job. Not that I'm trying to praise him or give him any credit, but when you look at some of these believers, many of them are living defeated lives. But tonight I want to talk about the integrity of God's word. I want to instill in you a confidence in his word that when God says something to you, you can bank on it. You can count on it. I'm hoping and praying that tonight, that when you leave here, you're going to be so fired up in your faith that you are going to be absolutely sure that what God has promised you, he's going to fulfill. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Numbers chapter 23, and we're going to begin to look at some verses of Scripture that sort of proves that God's Word is reliable, that you can count on His Word, that His Word is, is, is inerrant, and His Word is sure. Numbers chapter 23. Now, when it comes to promises, there are two things that I want you to remember and keep in mind. Number one is that a promise... It's a commitment to do something. The second thing I want you to remember about a promise is that a promise is only reliable as the one who makes it. So when we talk about the promises of God, we need to keep these thoughts in mind because God never breaks a single promise. In spite of what you may think, in spite of what you may feel, in spite of what you may have heard, in spite of what you've experienced in the past, God will never break his promise. The Bible always declares, if you study the Bible, it not only declares that, the, that God is faithful, but it also shows us the history of God's faithfulness. So we're not just reading the Bible and saying how God is faithful, but God, the Bible shows us how faithful God is time and time again. So, here's the reason why that we need to count on God and believe in His Word. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And it says this, God is not a man that he should lie, 
nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Let's stop there. The first thing we need to look at here is that God is not a man. He's a spirit. Which means that God doesn't have human tendencies like you and I do. That means that God is not flawed in his character like man. That means that God does not have a fallen nature as man. God doesn't have these tendencies to, to exaggerate truth like man. God has never sinned. Therefore, he cannot lie because lying is sin. God is the essence of righteousness, so therefore he cannot lie. He is truth, and what he speaks is truth. The second part here is, nor a son of man, that he should repent or change his mind. Now we see the unchanging character of God. Unlike you and I, we're constantly changing our minds. When we make a promise, we have every good intention to keep that promise. But how many of you know that things happen? Circumstances happen that cause us to change our thinking, change our promises. Sometimes we just forget, or sometimes we just purposely break the promise. But God never changes when he makes a promise. He says he's not a man that he should repent or change his mind. In other words, God doesn't make it a habit of making a decision, then later on deciding he made a bad decision. Now God will never correct something he said. God will never correct himself as far as something that he promises because once he speaks his word, it's truth. It's a done deal. So God never has to correct anything. Malachi chapter 3 talks about the unchanging character of God. In Malachi 3 and verse 6, it says, I am the Lord God, I change not. We also see Romans 11 and verse 29. Where it says, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance or irrevocable, which means it cannot change or be reversed. So we see the unchanging character of God that when he says something to you, he's not going to change his mind. When he says something to you in his word, it's not going to change. God, when he promises you something, his promise to us is an unbreakable commitment. And I want you to get that. Numbers 23 19, the last part of 19 says, Has he not said and shall he not do it? Or has he not spoken and shall he not make it good? He's going to do what he says he's going to do. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he's spoken it, he's going to fulfill it. Even if it hasn't happened yet. Even if you cannot see how it's ever going to happen. Even if your eyes, your ears, your mind, and your feelings are screaming at you that it cannot and will not happen, God will not change his promise. His promise is an unbroken commitment to us. God will not lie whenever he promises something, nor will he change his mind about it. Go to Genesis chapter 15. You know, if you was take if you was to take all of the integrity in the world and put it all together, it still doesn't measure up to God's integrity. Amen? Now the Bible contains literally thousands of promises. The Bible has records of all the promises of God for all of us to see. 
Not only that, but we see in the Bible all of the promises that have been fulfilled by God for all to see. God is constantly, repeatedly telling us through his said word that when he said something, he does it. So we can learn to trust God as we see him proving himself trustworthy time and time again throughout history. And we see that in his word. God places a great importance to his word. We're going to see that. We're going to see how God places a high priority on his word and keeping his word. For instance, in Psalm 138 and verse 2, it says this. For thou hast magnified thy word above all of his name. Now, the word magnify in the Greek simply means to be large or to bring up. It also means to exceed, to lift up, or to make great. So what the psalmist is telling us that God makes great, exceeds, lifts up, promotes his word above all of his name. And as great and majestic as his name is, like Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals, Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides, El Elyon, the Most High, Elohim, the All-Powerful One. All of these wonderful names, all these majestic names that describe God's nature, character, and ability. Yet, the Bible says that God places a high priority to his word above all of his majestic name. Just to show you how important God's word is. <clears throat> one other verse of scripture. One verse, uh, Psalm 119 and verse 89 says this. Forever, O Lord, thy word has been settled in heaven. Now the word settled comes from the root word in the Hebrew, which means to station, which implies something that is set in place. Another definition that clearly defines the word settle is to be appointed, established, or make stand. So when the psalmist is telling us about his word, that when God speaks his word, it's already settled, it's already permanently stationed, it's already set in place, and it's been established in heaven forever. When God speaks his word, it's already done. He's not a God that lies or changes his mind or his thinking or his words. Once it's spoken, it's settled forever. It's been established. It's been permanently stationed in heaven forever. You and I, we have the spoken word written right here. Everything that God says in his word about you, about your life, and about your situation, he's already spoken it. So if he's spoken it, that means it's already settled in heaven. That means it's already been established. That means it's been permanently stationed and set in place, and God will not change it. I'm still talking about the integrity of God's Word. And we see this in the lives of Moses and Abraham and all the wonderful Bible characters in, in the Bible. We learned that when we study these great men of God, how God... When he makes a promise to each of these men, we see, we see that God always does what he says he's going to do. And he does it exactly the way he says he's going to do it. So he made a commitment, which is unbreakable, to do something in their lives if everything came to pass. Why? Because when God spoke it, it was forever settled. That's what I need you to understand. That when God speaks his word, it's already been established. It's been settled. It's done. 
The only thing that's left to do is for it to be fulfilled. And we will see that. In Genesis chapter 15, one of the most significant promises that God makes with man is what we call a covenant. And a covenant is an agreement or a contract where two or more people come together, agreeing to keep a promise to each other to meet whatever standards, whatever uh, stipulations, whatever conditions are made, or whatever responsibilities are made, and they both agree to it and promise to keep it. When God appeared to, Gen- uh, to uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 the first time, God had made a promise to him. He said, Abraham, if you leave your house, leave your home, leave everything that you know, take up your wife and your family, and come to a land I'm going to show you. God says, I'm going to give you and bless you with, in several significant ways. In Genesis chapter 15, we see that God, that Abraham arrived in this land that God said he was going to show him. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. Where it says this, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, and now this is interesting. God in Genesis chapter 12 says, I'm going to show you a land. So if you come and leave everything behind and bring your family, I'm going to show it to you. He arrived in the land. God showed it to him. Now God is telling him, I'm going to give you this land. Part of the blessings that God promised him. But look at how... Abraham responded to the promises of God in verse 8. And then Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? In other words, how can I be sure that I'm going to inherit this land? Or, how do I know you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Sounds like something we would say, right? So because of that question, it's pretty apparent that Abraham had some doubt about what God had said and what God had promised. So God entered into a covenant with Abram. How many times have you heard Pastor John say this? That God oftentimes will meet us right where we are. God had met Abram right where he was, seeing that he had doubted. And so what he did was enter into a covenant. And in verse 9 he says this, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then Abram brought all of these animals to God, and then he cut them in two down the middle, and then placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, understand that a covenant was not God's idea. A covenant was, uh, was uh, a common practice during ancient times. All over the ancient world, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Greek, Romans, and, and even the Hebrews, they all practiced cutting a covenant. It was pretty common to them. They understood the seriousness and the importance of a covenant. They understood that when two people enter into a covenant, they knew it was a covenant of promise. They were binding themselves together to each other to meet whatever standards, whatever conditions that they promised to keep. And of course, every covenant has some serious consequences because if it was broken, then there was some punishment to go with that. So God enters into a covenant with him in response to Abram's question, how do I know you're going to do this? And so, again, this is pretty common. And so when, when two people come together, again, in order to seal the promise or seal the covenant, they would take the animals that they were to sacrifice. They would kill the animal, make the animal bleed and bleed it all over the ground. Then they would take the animal and cut the animals in half and then place the animals apart from each other, several feet apart from each other, forming a path. 
And so when the two parties that are joined together and entering the covenant together, what they would do in order to make it sealed and make it solid and, and, and final, they will interlock their arms, and then they walk arm in arm right along this path where the, dead, where the dead animals are. They were essentially declaring to each other these, these words, these words. They are saying to each other, may I be like these dead animals if I ever break this covenant. A very solemn promise that carries very serious consequences. Abram understood the seriousness of a covenant. And so when God realized that Abram doubted God, when God made a promise that he was going to give him the land, God met him right where he was, entered into a covenant with him, and Abram, understanding the covenant, did all of the, all of the elaborate ceremonies that he was supposed to do. And now this is what I want you to see. Go down in verse 17. In verse 17, something strange happens. It goes on to say, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And in verse 18, it says, On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, in verse 17, it says that a smoking oven and a burning torch appeared and passed between those, two, those dead animals. It is believed that that smoking oven, I was going to say smoking pot, but there's no smoking pot in here. The smoking oven and burning pot or burning torch was actually God or a representation of God who actually literally walked along that path. Now listen very carefully. The fact that God was the one who initiated this covenant, the fact that this covenant was a unilateral covenant, not a bilateral covenant like most covenants are, because it was God who initiated, and it was God who was entering into the covenant simply because he needed to prove something to Abram. And by God walking along that path where those dead animals was, God was declaring to Abram, may I be like these dead animals if I don't keep my promise. Think about the extent that God went to to assure Abram that what God said, what God promised was sure. God had communicated with Abram by way of covenant because it was something that he understood in order to assure him that what God had promised him, God was going to do. And to me, that is an amazing thing because you know what? God also initiated another covenant with the entire world. Using Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice where he shed his blood and by shedding his blood, he sealed the deal and gave us a new covenant. The Bible says a new covenant, a better covenant, established upon better promises. The blood of Jesus is so significant that when he shed his blood on the cross, it guaranteed all of the promises that this new covenant provides us with. Think about that. That's how significant the blood of Jesus is. It sealed the deal of this new covenant, and because now we're under this new covenant, it guarantees all of the promises that God had made for us. That's what this new covenant provides us. That's a very powerful, very powerful thing that God had done for us. But the fact that God had did that, just to show Abram that, Abram, I'm telling you the truth. And so if, you don't, if you can't understand and comprehend what I'm saying, I'm going to meet you right where you are, and I'm going to enter into a covenant, something that you're aware of, and I'm going to seal the deal by walking along that path 
and he bowed himself to his word, saying, if I break this promise, may I be like these dead animals, sealing the deal of the promise. Let's look at another verse of scripture. Go to 2 Chronicles, chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Here we read a story where Solomon had just completed the temple. And this temple was supposed to be a very magnificent temple. A very elaborate temple. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And after completing the temple, he gathered up all of the people so they can begin to worship God. And we pick up in verse 14. And I want you to listen to his prayers concerning God. He said this in verse 14. Lord God of Israel... There is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Look at verse 15. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and you fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. It's interesting in verse 15 where he says you have kept your promise that you made to my father David. Living in the household of his, of his father, he must have witnessed all of the fulfillment of God's promises to his father, which is the reason why he was able to make this thing. He saw how God had kept all of his promise that he made to his father. And now he says, you have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. In other words, Lord, you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. You don't just speak and then those words are empty. No, you stand behind your word. And you fulfill what you say. I'm still talking about the integrity of God's word. God say, the Bible says that God gives his word and he does it. He fulfills it. He keeps it. What he says he will do, he says he will do it. Go to Joshua chapter 21. And again, I'm just showing you passages of scripture that prove that God's word can be trusted. Here we read the story where Joshua having conquered a good part of the land and having distributed among the tribes, he gathered up all the people together and began to summarize all of the, all of the things that God had done for them. Reminding the people of everything that God had done. And we begin in verse 43. It says this, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all of their enemies into their hand. Notice he uses the word sworn twice here. The word sworn in the, Greek, in the Hebrew means to make a pledge or to give one's word or to guarantee. And he says, the Lord gave his word to us that he's going to give us the land and he's going to cause us to rest all the way around. And he's going to give us victory over all of our enemies. And so God met all of the obligations that he gave, that he met with, uh, with the children of Israel. And so this is what, what Joshua was reminding them. But what I want you to see is that last verse, because he ends this verse of this chapter with these words in verse 45. He says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. I want you to say these words with me. I want you to say, I want you to say, not a word failed 
all came to pass. Say this again, but I want you to say it like you mean it. All came to pass. Amen. And you know, that's what I need you to say to yourself all the time. Not a word failed. All came to pass. Amen. Numbers 23, 19 says, Has he not said and shall he not do it? Has he spoken and shall he, shall he not make it good? Second Chronicles says, You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. Go to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. <clears throat> Listen to what God said about David. Psalm 89, beginning verse 34, says this. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. The word break means to pervert or to pollute. He says, my covenant I will not pervert or pollute or dissolve. I will not break. He says, nor will I alter or change the word that goes that has gone out of my lips. Notice the word has gone. Past tense. Once the word has gone out of his mouth, it's already out of his mouth, and he will not change it. He will not alter it. But listen, listen to what it says in verse 35. Once I have sworn, or once I've given my word by my holiness or by my character, I will not lie to David. Whew. What is God saying here to us? God saying this, I will not break my covenant with you. I will not alter my words that has gone out of my mouth concerning you, your life, and your situation. And he says, what I, once I have sworn, once I have given my word to you concerning your life, concerning you, your, your situation, by my character, by my holiness, I will not lie to Steve. I will not lie to Pastor Ray and Angela. I will not lie to Henry and Gloria. I will not lie to Bonnie. I will not lie to Phyllis. I will not lie to Faith. I will not lie to Manny and Crystal sitting back there. I will not lie, he says, because once he spoke his word, once he's given his word to us, he's not going to alter it. Because God wants to keep his promise. He will not break his covenant with us. I want to encourage your faith tonight. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. You can bank on God's word. God has the power to bring to pass what he plans and what he purposes to do in your life. Isaiah 14 and verse 24 says this. The, uh, 24. Okay, this is it. The Lord of hosts has sworn or given his word, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Whatever plans and purpose God has for you, he's already spoken it. And once he's spoken it, it's already been established. It's already been settled. And it will not change whatever the calling is upon your life.
Whatever God's purpose and plans it, it's already set. And it will stand. You can't change it. You can't alter it because God's already proclaimed it. He's already said it. Therefore, he cannot change it. All we need to do is get on the bandwagon. Let's walk it. You know, let's live it through. Amen. What God has promised did not fail because God is a God of his word. And what he has promised did not, has not, will not, and cannot fail. I want you to say this with me. And I want you to make it personal. God's promises to me did not, has not, will not, and cannot fail. I'll say it one more time. God's promises to me did not, has not, will not, and cannot fail. God's word stands firm throughout eternity. It's forever settled in heaven and it will never change as it concerns you. Amen. When we talk about God's integrity, when we want to define the word integrity, it simply means this. <clears throat> it's a quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. Other words that define integrity are words like honesty, truthfulness, reliability, dependability, honor, correctness. So when we talk about integrity, integrity is a reflection of God's character embodied in his word. So when he speaks forth his word, you're seeing his character, truth, dependability, reliability, truthfulness, trustworthiness, honesty. Hallelujah. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, another very familiar passage of scripture. In verse 10, says this, As the rain and the snow fall from the heavens, and doesn't return there, but waters the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. It's interesting how he uses the snow and the rain as an analogy to describe God's word. He says, as the snow and the rain falls from the sky, so it doesn't return back up. And it doesn't just fall to the ground, but it waters the earth. And as it waters the earth, it causes the earth to produce. So that there be seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So shall my word be in verse 11. My word will not come back unto me void. Once it comes forth from out of my mouth. But it will produce something. That's what it's saying. It will produce something. Notice the power of God's word. When we spend the time to study and meditate upon God's word. We are allowing God to speak into our spirit, man. And the more we do that, glory to God, it's going to produce something. It's got to produce something. So shall my word be that goes forth from out of my mouth. It will not come back to, unto me void, but it will accomplish something. And it will prosper 
wherever I send it. Hallelujah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. God says he will not alter his word that's gone out of his lips. Jesus says, man shall not live by, by, by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from out of the mouth of God. Jeremiah 1.12, God says this, the last part of that verse, he says, for I am ready to perform it. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform it, or I watch over my word to perform it. <coughs> When God speaks his word, he guarantees that what he says he will do. Because he watches over to make sure that it gets done. See, that's, I don't, I've never met anybody who has that much integrity. That you can rely on that person and bank on that person's word, knowing that this person is not going to go back on his word. But God, he's, that's the way he is. And it's such a wonderful thing to know that we can come before God and have this fellowship and relationship with him because... Whatever God says about you, you can bank on it. And whatever he says about you and about your circumstances, you know he's going to take care of it. Amen. And there's just so much that I want to share tonight. Listen. Everything that God says to us is found in the Bible. Everything that he needs to say to us is here in his word. And we know that the Bible is made up of 66 books. Written by over 40 authors in a span of 1600 years. We know that the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Peter 1 in verse 20 and 21, that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to all of these authors and had them write what God wanted us to hear and what God wanted us to see. So the word of God came from the very will of, in the heart of God. And I want you to understand that the word of God is from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For the word of God, or all scripture, come by inspiration of God, or God breathe. In other words, everything that it, it, that's in here is from God. It's his spoken word. Okay? Now, if God had lied just once, or if his prophecies did not come to pass just once, then we would be most miserable men, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. Why do I say that? Because our redemption and our eternal destiny depends on the integrity of God's word. If God's word wasn't true, what does that say about our redemption? If God's word was not true, what does that say about our eternal destiny? Listen to me, think about this. We know that there are over 300 prophecies that were written concerning Christ that happened exactly the way God said it would. But if one of his prophecies did not come to pass the way God says, then God wouldn't be God. Think about this. If Jesus was not born of a virgin as was prophesied many years ago, God wouldn't be God. If Jesus did not die on a Roman cross, as was prophesied many years ago, then God would have lied. If God, or if Jesus, 
did not, was not raised from the dead on the third day, as was prophesied many years ago, then God wouldn't be God and Jesus would be a dead corpse today. What would that mean about our redemption and eternal destiny? The very scriptures, the very integrity of God, we depend on the very integrity of God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's go there real quickly. Paul understood the inerrancy and the authority of God's word because he lived it and he preached it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 says this, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to what? The scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to what? According to the scriptures. So you see that Paul even understood the authority and the inerrancy of his word. Because Paul depended upon the, uh, the integrity of God's word. He knew that his redemption and eternal destiny was dependent upon what God said in his word. So everything that, that Paul preached about was simply everything that was written in the scriptures. Again, what I want to show you here tonight is this is God's word. Everything that he has to say to you is said here. And everything that he says about you concerning your life, your situation, and your destiny is all written and promised here. And it's up to you to believe it and trust it and get over the struggle that you have with trying to believe whether God's word is true or not. Regardless of whether you've heard from God or not, regardless of whether God had come through for you or not, let me encourage your faith. Just hang in there. Just hang in there. Now, with the time I have remaining, let me just share this one last thought. <clears throat> By now, your faith should be encouraged enough. <clears throat> should be encouraged enough so that when you leave here, you'll be so fired up that you're going to charge hell with a water pistol. Amen. So, but there's still some people that are still struggling with their faith. There are still people that are having issues with trusting God because of their disappointment and their discouragement. Because God has not come through for them. God has not answered their prayers and they wonder why. Well, you know what? It can be a number of reasons. One reason is because maybe your promise is still on the way and it just hasn't gotten there. So you just have to wait a little bit longer. Or it could be that maybe it's just not God's timing yet. Or perhaps maybe your faith level is just a little too low and all you have to do is just build it back up. Or perhaps maybe there's sin in your life. And so once you find what that sin is, then deal with it. But I, I believe that there's one other reason why so many of us are still struggling. Something that's so simple that we tend to overlook. Uh, overlook it. We, as Christians, we are very good at claiming the promises of God. We're very good at that. We'll take a scripture and say, praise God and claim that promise and make it theirs. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But what we tend to... Un I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me just say this. There are too many Christians who try to put everything on God and make God responsible for everything that happens to them. But we have to understand that it's not completely all on God. There's a part that you and I have to play. 
especially when it comes to the relationship and continued blessings of God, there's a role that we have to play. There's a, there's a scripture in the Bible where in, um, it was in the book of Obadiah, chapter 1 and verse 17. A little birdie told me that. And the scripture says this, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The last part of that verse. In order for the house of Jacob, which is Israel, to have their possessions, they need to go out and possess it. You cannot claim a possession and say something is yours unless you've gone out and possessed it. Once you've done that, then it becomes your possession. But until you go out and possess it, it cannot be your possession. What am I saying here? I'm saying this. There are many promises in, God, in, in the Word of God. Not all, but many. That have conditional ifs tied to it. Let me give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 19, real quick. Very familiar passage of scripture. I've heard many quote it. I've heard many talk about it and preach it. Verse 19 says, look at where the, the word that it starts off with. If. Which implies a condition. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The promise here is that you shall eat the good of the land. The condition if you be willing and obedient. The implication here is this, that if you're not willing and obedient, then you will not eat the good of the land. Right? That's simple. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, very familiar passage of scripture, verse 14 says this. Notice how the verse begins, if, again, indicating uh, uh, a condition. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The promise is that I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now the land could be this country, could be your city or town, could be your neighborhood, it could be your home. Maybe your home needs healing, physical healing, Emotional healing, spiritual healing, financial healing. But the condition is if you humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, then the promises become yours. Let's continue. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In verse 1, very again, another very well-known passage of scripture. These, this is our chapter's is with the blessings and the cursings, the first 14 verses are blessings. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. The next verse. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. What is the promise here? That all the blessings should come upon you and overtake you. What are the conditions? That if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you see what I'm going with this? Okay, let's go into the... Uh, okay, one more. Uh, Psalm 84 in the Old Testament. Psalm 84 verse 11. 
For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he, with, with he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The promise here is that he will not withhold any good thing. The condition is if we walk uprightly or blameless. Now let's look in the New Testament. Another very well-known verse of Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall, should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the promise here? That what? That you will not perish and have everlasting life. What is the condition? Whosoever believes. So the implication here is that if we do not believe, then we will not have everlasting life and we will perish. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The promise here is this. He will come in us, he will sup with us, and he will, and, and us with him. In other words, we'll fellowship together. But the condition is if we hear his voice and open up the door of our hearts and let him in. So, we probably never realize this. We quote these scriptures many, many times and seem to overlook the fact that they carry conditions. And so we go around and, and charge and hell and, and claim the promises and without meeting the conditions. And then we wonder why we're still in the same situation that we're in. Perhaps maybe we've not met the conditions. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. The promise is all the provisions will be added to you. The condition is we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is one of my favorite verses. I constantly quote that all the time. I lived on that verse, but I tend to overlook the, the conditions. I want all of the things added to me. I just skip the fact that I got to seek God first. Just give me the provisions, Lord. Give me all the things that I need. The things that I worry about, that's what I want. But God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, all these things shall be added to you. So, again, I just want to show you that, listen, God's word is true. God's promise to us is an unbroken commitment to us. And his promise is as good as who he is because he embodies truth. He embodies integrity. It's part of his nature and character. He cannot help but to do what he says. But what I love about this and what I want you to go home remembering is the fact is that God will not alter or change his word concerning you. God has a word for you. God has a promise for you. And he's not going to change it. But you've got to believe it. You've got to trust in it. And you've got to hang in and no matter what happens, no matter how long you wait, Sooner or later, God is going to keep his word, like he says, because he has integrity. Amen. Come on, get excited about this. I'm excited. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, because you're God. We thank you because, Lord God, you're a God of integrity. You're a God of your word. Father, we can count on you. We can rely on you. We can depend on you, Lord. 
And Lord, I thank you so much for everything you've done and everything that you're going to do. Thank you, Lord God, for the promises that you made to us. Thank you, Father, for fulfilling every word concerning my life, concerning my circumstances, concerning my future. Thank you, Father God, that I'm in good hands. Thank you, Father God, for speaking into our lives and encouraging our faith and firing us up and bringing us to a place, Father God, where we can trust you wholeheartedly, not from our minds, but from our heart. So, Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father God, that you spoke to all of your people here, Father, and instilled confidence in them to trust in your word. I thank you, Father God, that they're going home charged up and fired up with new hope and new expectations. Father, we thank you. We thank you for girding their faith up tonight and having stand and done all the stand to claim and possess your promise. And so, Father, we thank you for this. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.